0: relationship with other believers, and then we look at the relationship with our enemy, and there's a whole list of things that we went through as to how the enemy works, how we practice, and how we devices, and how we need to know that so that we can know how to react to games now. So our enemy is standing by Alan's phone this morning. <laughs> <laughs> recording. Is it recording? Alright, our enemy, Satan, we need to know our enemy, his devices, his goals, because if we don't, we will fall prey to him. And so the last relationship we need to cultivate is the relationship with our Savior. The relationship with our Savior and seeing him work in our lives and the lives of others is our greatest source of joy. We need to cultivate this relationship, for from it stems all other godly relationships. The relationship we have with our Saviour is the core from which all other relationships flow. So let's start with First Thessalonians chapter three. That's where we finished off last time, so first Thessalonians chapter three and verse one. It says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus, our brother, and minister of God, and our fellow labourer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. But now... When Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in our afflictions and distress by your faith. Now, the first thing we see in chapter three so, first, remember. Chapters and verses were not there when Paul wrote this. So he's continuing a thought from chapter 2. This is a letter. So why, or nice way to say this, wherefore is the wherefore therefore. So, wherefore is the wherefore therefore. Verse 19 of chapter 2. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Wherefore When we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. So your salvation, this is essentially what Paul is saying as he transitions here, he says, Your salvation, your zeal, your joy in the Lord is such an encouragement to us. We can't bear the thought that Satan would come to rob you of this. Therefore, you need to be grounded in the truth of Scripture so that you can stand when these afflictions come. Hence... I decided to be left at Athens alone and sent Timothy to disciple you. That is the message that Paul is bringing across here. So let's let's get into verse 1 of chapter 3. I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 17. So long. Acts chapter 17. As you know, this is where this event where Paul has gone to um, the Thessalonians is written about. Acts chapter 17. And we just look at the events that, that led up to the statement that Paul makes in, in verse 1. Um, but Before we look at that, I just want to mention something. Paul is saying that he couldn't forbear the thought of being left or to not see these people and to be left. And so that's why he decided to be left at Athens alone. He couldn't take it anymore. He couldn't take not hearing from him, not knowing their state, not knowing how it is going with them. Because remember, we often forget that we are so used to being able to make contact with anyone of us at at an instant. We have have WhatsApp, we have pictures that we can send each other of someone being on the mission field and sending pictures, sending updates, having phone calls. All these things. There was nothing of this. Paul was there for three weeks. These people, he loved these people. These people fell in love with God and they they wanted to worship God and they wanted to be disciples and Paul wanted to build a church there, but he had to leave them. And from that day he left them, he has no idea of the state that they're in. He can't comfort them. He can't answer their questions. He can't um, encourage them when they're going through tribulation. None of that. That doesn't exist. He can't do that. There's no one there to do that for them. And so we need to remind ourselves that the privilege we have of, and it's a weird thing, it's not something that I think I'll say often, but the privilege we have of having cell phones, the privilege we have of having this way of communicating with each other, that we use it for God's glory, that we use it to encourage each other, that we use it to to be there for each other and to help each other in, in tough times. But at the same time, I also want to say, I think a lot of us use that sometimes as a, As a cop out, to say, I've sent a message, so I don't have to do something about it. So don't fall to either side of 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 that coin. But let's be wise and thankful and use this privilege we have of communicating with each other and staying in contact with each other at any time for God's glory. Now Acts chapter seventeen verse ten. Acts chapter seventeen verse ten. So now Paul has been there and persecution came up and he had to leave the city of Thessalonica. So verse 10 it says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who, coming thither, went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily, whether these things were so. Wherefore many of them believed, also, of honorable women, which were Greeks, and, all, and of men, not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, um, word to the sea. But Silas and Timothy, Timotheus abode there still. So Timothy and Silas remained there in Berea verse 15 and they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him um, with all speed they departed now while Paul waited for them in Athens his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry so they left Thessalonica they came to Berea Persecution came up there Paul fled to Athens but Silas and Timothy stayed in in Berea until Paul called them later and so Paul is now at Athens he's going to preach to these people at Athens and then these people are going to Silas and Timothy are going to join him have a look at verse 8 of chapter 18 verse 1 of Acts Acts chapter 18 verse 1 It says after these things, so this is now after Paul has preached to these people at Athens. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. And then verse 5 it says, And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. So here we see finally Paul and Timotheus were come from Macedonia. Now keep your place there and actually we're going to go back there in a moment. But the question that comes up is, why am I telling you all of this? Why am I telling you the history of this? You need to understand that this, this time gap between, because there's a message in this, there's a time gap between when Paul left Thessalonica. He had to travel all the way to Athens. He was in Athens. He preached there. He waited for Silas and Timothy to catch up with him. In that time, people in Thessalonica died. Believers died in that time. There was traveling time. There was time for Paul to have tried to go back to Thessalonica on a few occasions. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Why is it important to know that there was this time gap that existed? Well, firstly, because it's biblical. (laughs) You need to know the Bible. But the reason I'm saying this is because this is months later. But Paul's heart was still burdened for these people. He hadn't seen them, but he was still burdened for them. He consistently prayed for them. He consistently prayed for them. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verse 5. This is why he prayed for them. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. Paul was concerned for these people, not just the desire to be with them, to have fellowship with them, because, but because he had a deep desire to fulfill God's desire, God's will for these people's life. He knew that God had a purpose with these people. He knew that God wanted to work in these people's lives. And so he had a desire to see that fulfilled. He wanted to impart spiritual gifts unto them as he speaks in Romans 1. He He had a desire for these people's well-being, their relationship, their walk with God. And this was not in the moment when he was witnessing to them. It was months afterwards, after he hadn't seen them for such a long time. Also, we look at Timothy. What did Timothy find, verse 6, what did Timothy find months afterwards when he came back to Thessalonica? Verse 6, it says, But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity... That he gave good, that ye that have good remembrance of us always having great, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you, therefore brethren, we were comforted over over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. These people were preached to, and they had Paul, Silas, and Timothy there for three weeks, and then they had nothing for months, and you read about Their charity, good tidings of your faith, that you have good remembrance, and that they comforted Paul and them because of their faith. These people had great faith, yet not even having the opportunity to be discipled, having a time to follow in Paul's footsteps. They didn't have that. But these people stood firm in the faith even after this time. Now, how is this possible? How. How does this happen? How do people stay so firm in the faith without having a great knowledge of it, without having an example to follow? How does this happen? The first thing I would say is they truly had a true conversion. We read in Acts chapter, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, that they turned from idols to serve the living and true God. They turned. They had a complete turnaround. There was a true conversion that happened in these people's lives. The second thing I would say, the reason they could stand is because they did have proper examples. And for the time they had that proper example, they followed that example. They followed Paul and Timothy and Silas in the time that they had that. So to use the opportunities that they had to serve and to learn more about Christ. Also, they had the prayers of faithful men. Paul, I think in each chapter... Paul mentions about something that he prayed for these people. In each chapter, Paul prays, and that's just what he mentions. So they had faithful men praying for them. Do we pray for those that are newly saved? Do we pray for those who are young in the faith, those who are struggling in their faith? We need to pray for them. Fourthly, I would say the reason they could stand after this time is because they had a great respect for the Word of God. In chapter 2, we we read there about how that they received the word, not just as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which worketh in you effectually. It works in them. Because they treated it not just as the word of man, they treated it as the word of God. And then finally, I would say, because of their brotherly love, their fellowship, their love for one another. Have a look at verse 12 in chapter 3, First Thessalonians 3, verse 12. It says... And the Lord make you to increase and to abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Have a look at chapter 4 and verse 9. It says, But as touching brotherly love ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. So they had love towards one another. They had encouragement. They had compassion towards one another. Because of their conversion, because of their examples that they followed, because of the prayers of saints that went up for them, because of their respect and the way they treated God's word, and because of their love and their comfort, their fellowship for one another, they could stand, irrespective of not having a spiritual leader there present to answer all their questions, as Paul's fear was that the tempter would have tempted them and their labor would have been in vain, So two things that I want to ask you is, perhaps there's someone that God has been laying on your heart to reach out to again. Don't let time be an excuse. Don't let a gap that has come between the two of you. If there's someone God has laid in your heart, know that God still uses that. Paul cared deeply months afterwards. Out of sight did not mean out of mind. And then secondly, perhaps you hear... How these Thessalonians people remained faithful and steadfast without much support. And you look at yourself and you think, "This is not true of my life. I have support. I have people, and yet I'm struggling in my faith." Maybe look at these five things that we just looked at and ask God: Is there anything of this missing in my life? Do I have a true conversion? Am I following examples? Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Do you have proper examples? Do you have people praying for you? Do you pray with people? Do you pray with other saints? Do you respect the word of God? Do you read it? Do you study it? And do you respect it and say, if this is what God has said, then I need to do this. I need to believe this. I need to live in this. And do you love the brethren? Do you love one another? Do you spend time with each other? Have a look at that in your life. Ask God to speak to you. Now, it says at the end of verse 3, it says we could no longer forbear. Then it says, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. To be left at Athens alone. We saw in Acts chapter 18, verse 1, Paul went from Athens, he went to Corinth. And then we read later in verse five, Acts chapter 18, verse 5, we read how Silas and Timotheus, came back from Macedonia. So when Paul sent Timotheus he also sent Silas to somewhere else in Macedonia. Paul cared less about his own spiritual well-being to have these strong and faithful brethren with him because he cared more for those who needed them. He cared more and he sent them to these young believers, these young people in the faith. And Paul refers to his loneliness, he says we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. He thought it good. Why does he think it good? It's not because he's thinking about himself. It wasn't necessarily good for himself to have no one who is strong in the faith to pray with him, to minister with, to witness with. It wasn't necessarily good for him, but it was better for the people that he was ministering to. So he cared more for their well-being, even though he himself would go through persecution in this time when he was left alone in Athens. So the heart of the pastor cares more for the well-being of his sheep than himself. And I want to read to you, having having spoken about sheep and shepherd, now Psalm 23, probably one of the most famous passages in Scripture. But listen to this: The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. The shepherd makes the sheep lie down in green pastures. He, the shepherd, leads me. Runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you see how the shepherd cares for the sheep? Each time he leads them, he lays them down, he provides, he guides them. Each time it is the shepherd leading the sheep. Jesus is that shepherd. Paul followed the example of Christ in being that shepherd to those people he cares for us he sacrificed for us he served us christ left heaven his glory for us do you see how the shepherd cares for his sheep imagine if the shepherd cared for himself more than the sheep and a modern day shepherd instead of taking the sheep to go into the um, to the pastures to have good fields to graze on he takes them and he goes to KFC because he wants the new dunked burger, right? <laughs> and so those sheep need to stand there in the parking lot and have nothing to eat because he needs his dunked burger. It doesn't work like that. Sheep don't survive. It just doesn't work like that. The shepherd takes his little lunchbox with him and sits under a tree and has his meal there. He cares for the sheep. The shepherd cares for the sheep. Am I dead? <laughs> I'm dead to sin, thank you. I'm alive in Christ. But you can hear me obviously, so why do I need to put new batteries in? Okay. Alright. Can you hear me now? Okay. So, those in the ministry, the question is, Do you have this heart towards the flock? When you serve people, do you have this heart towards the flock? And secondly, those who want to prepare for the ministry or whatever God wants to use you for, are you praying for a heart like this? A heart that is prepared to go into this, to care for the sheep. Now, for my message today. But it is sort of more the focus of the message. It is the message is a true uh, true disciple. True. I'm just gonna write this or disc, whatever. Okay. True disciple. So a true disciple, we are gonna look at Paul Saint Timothy to go there. and Timothy was a true disciple. And there are three things that I want us to Look at regarding Timothy, a true disciple. So the first thing I want to look at is in verse 2 is the character of a disciple. Verse 2 it says, And I and, and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. So we see the character. The first thing we see is the character. character. The character of a true disciple. The first thing is it says he is a brother. Our brother. Now what is a what is a brother or a sister in Christ? Obviously first prerequisite is you need to be saved. You need to be in the family of God. God is your father and you are now adopted into the family. You are a brother. So the first thing is to be a brother, to be a true disciple you need to be saved. Okay? You need to be a brother and But more than that is a brother, a faithful, it is someone who is a faithful friend. It is someone you can depend on, who cares for you and you for them. It is a faithful friend, someone you can minister with. That is a brother. Someone who is concerned with doing God's will. A brother or a sister in Christ is someone who is concerned with doing God's will. Jesus says in Mark 3 verse 35, he says, For whosoever shall do the will of God... The same is my brother, my sister, my mother. Those who will do the will of God. So the first part of the character of a true disciple is to be a brother or a sister. Yeah, I have a really ugly handwriting. I'm sorry. I just gazed over there and I was like... Okay, okay the second thing is it says, And sent to our brother, and then it says, and minister of God. The second aspect of the character... The character of a true disciple is to be a minister of God. Have a look at 2 Thessalonians chapter um, 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. A minister of God is an example setter. A minister of God is an example setter. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 8 it says Paul is speaking, "Neither, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but brought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you not because we have not power but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us he was concerned being a minister he was concerned of, um, with being an example setter the second thing about a minister of God have a look at 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 second thing about a minister of God is that he knows and he speaks truth. A minister of God has to know and speak truth. Otherwise, you are not representing God. So you can't be a minister of God. So you need to know and you need to speak truth. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Then it says, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves unto every man's conscience in the sight of God. You'll see there that um, not walking, not, uh, the hidden things of dishonesty, are not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. If you handle the word of God deceitfully, it is not of truth. And so you need to know truth. You need to speak truth. That is what a minister of God does. So in summary, what I would say about a minister of God is that there's someone who desires to know and walk with God and through that relationship teach and share truth with others. Through that relationship, teach and share truth with others. The last thing, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2, about the character of a true disciple, we see there... A minister of God, and our fellow labourer in the gospel of Christ. A fellow labourer in the gospel of Christ. Someone who is a true, who wants, who wants the character of a true disciple, needs to be someone who is busy preaching the gospel. Someone who is busy preaching the gospel. That is part of the character of a true disciple. They are a fellow. A companion in Christ's desire to have all men hear the gospel. A fellow laborer. Because that ultimately is God's desire. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all that come to repentance. That is Christ's desire. And so you need to be a fellow laborer of that desire of Christ. So do you strive to be more like this example of a disciple? The standard is not perfection. But it certainly is a direction to become a better brother, a better minister and a better fellow laborer. So that's the character of a true disciple. Then it goes on in verse 2 to say after fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, it says to establish you, to comfort you concerning your faith. So the second thing about the, a true disciple that I want to talk about is the work. What is the work of a true disciple? The first thing that we see there is to establish you. To establish you. That is to ground or to make stable believers. It is to, but it's not just young believers. It's also believers who are shaken in their faith. It's people who are going through a tough time in their faith. It's to bring them back to the truth where you can get established. Because you can't be established without a sure foundation. And the only sure foundation we have is Scripture. Scripture. So we need to be brought back to that. So the the work of a disciple is to establish other Christians. In Romans 10 verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You need to be brought back to that faith, that faith that is unshaken. And that only comes through the word of God. The second thing that a true disciple does, the work of a true disciple, it says in the end of of verse 2, it says, and to comfort you concerning your faith so establish and comfort in the faith that is to encourage them to hold on what did we read further on in this chapter we know that the Thessalonians are going through bad bad persecution in this the city that they're in Paul and them were chased out we know they're going through persecution it says in in verse five as we read earlier that when we could no longer forbear we sent to know your faith lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. He wants to comfort them in the faith. He wants to encourage them to hold on. He wants to tell them that God is with you. And that he works in you in these times of trials. You see if you have a wrong understanding of what trials are. You will lose faith. You will lose hope. You will think that God is against you. And that God doesn't care. God doesn't see. But God works in these times of trials. God works in these, these times. And that's, you need truth. You need the word of God to tell you that. That's why you need to encourage and be comforted in the faith. I wrote to you that truth comforts because it does not shift with the seasons of life. You're going to go through various things in life, ups and downs, and if there's not a truth you can hold on to, you're just going to flow with it. You're just going to go all over the place. You're going to be tossed about with every wind of doctrine because there's no truth. The truth is what you can stand on. The truth is what you must hold on to. And our greatest source of truth is Scripture. Sanctify them by Thy truth, Thy word, is truth and then lastly the work of a true disciple is to make disciples now it's sort of implied by the first two because there's no one to establish and no one to comfort if there is no person that is newly saved so you need to make disciples so establish comfort in the faith and make disciples is the work of a true disciple so if you're striving to have the character of a disciple are you doing the work of one. Are you doing the work of one? And are you equipping and teaching saints? Are you equipping and teaching saints? And does Christ have free course to work through your life from the character that he is building in you? See, it doesn't help you do something just for the sake of doing it if there isn't the character, the God that is working in you, that is the reason for the outpouring, the outworking in your life. It starts with a character. It starts with a core. It starts with... Who Christ is in you. And then it works. Goes into the work of a true disciple. Then lastly verse 3 is a true disciple. What is the purpose? What is the purpose of a true disciple? In verse 3 we read that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourself know that we are appointed thereunto. That no man be moved by these afflictions. So the ultimate purpose of a true disciple is to endure afflictions and trials in a God-honoring way. So that God gets glorified through the things that you go through in your life. That is the ultimate, that's the ultimate purpose of any Christian, is to, to please and to glorify God. And how much more can we do that in times of trials? So, to endure afflictions, but not just endure it, but to do it in a God-glorifying and God-honoring way. That is the ultimate purpose. And then it goes on to say, actually what I want to still say on that is that you need to count to joy because God is in control and He is shaping you. Trust Him, for He is good. Trust Him, for He is good. If you don't see God as good, if you don't see God as your loving Father, you will question these things. You, will, you won't understand. And even if you don't understand, you need to trust and hold on to who God is. Not about what you're feeling, who God is. God is good. And so that is how you endure, endure afflictions. That is how you can count the joy because you know God hasn't changed. And God has an ultimate purpose for your life, which is much better than what you have for it. And then the last thing about the purpose of a true disciple um, it says here in verse 3 that no man should be moved no man should be moved Now, I want to have you have this picture in your mind where someone is gazing at Christ someone is focused on Christ and then the afflictions come but that gaze that focus doesn't shift it's not moved because that person knows that these trials can come these things can come but God is my strength he's the one who carries me through he is the one who has an ultimate purpose with this thing and if i don't look to him i'm gonna miss that if i don't look to him i'm not going to be able to count it all joy if he is not my strength in this time that's what i'm saying you're not moved your focus your gaze remains the author and the finisher of your faith He's not just the author we sometimes isolate christ to just being the author of our faith where it started, where we got saved, where we got forgiven of sin. But he's the finisher of your faith. He's the one who sustains you. He's the one who gives you the strength, the ability for every day. Now, I don't usually close like this, but I'd like to ask you to please bow your heads. As I share a few thoughts with you, I want you to pray about this. I want you to think about this. So please, close your Bibles, bow your heads. Just think about a few things today. The first thing is, what type of reaction does this message work in you? What type of reaction does this message work in you? We looked at the character, the work, and the purpose of a disciple. Do you want to be a better disciple? Do you want to serve Christ better? So this is where I tell you, then go and do this. Build this character in you. This is why I tell you to, to go work. Do this work. And have this purpose in mind. Be a brother. Be a minister. Be a fellow laborer. Help young Christians grow. Establish them. But what about when you're exhausted? What about when you're tired? What about when you're just tired of failing? You never feel like you're just never able to live up to the standard of Christianity you read about in scripture. You read about this Paul, you read about Pete, you read about their lives, and it seems like you just cannot do it all. You cannot live this life. You see, if you take a long to-do list from this message, you've missed the point. And I have failed you. So many Christians are tired. So many Christians are just dead because they can't keep up with all the to-do lists. I want to ask you to please listen to the following. You can't make yourself the disciple Paul speaks about in this passage. You can't. You can stick Christian deeds all over yourself, but are you truly changing for Him in your core? God doesn't look at the outward appearance as man does so what do you stand to do you need to yield yourself to Christ who works in you let him transform you from the inside out look to Christ humble yourself before him submit to his will and he who begun the work in you will complete it he who begun the work in you will complete it. In Galatians 2 verse 20 it says I am crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ liveth in me and the life that I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, Second Corinthians four verse six. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency and power may may be of God, and not of us. With all of this, my focus, my my desire is to show you. It's not outward, inward. It is inward, outward. We focus on deeds. We focus on things. We focus on stuff we need to do. And we grow tired because it's all about us. It's all about what we do. It needs to start with Christ, the author, but also the finisher, the reason, the power. It is Him that lives in you. It is Him that strengthens you. It is Him that conforms you and shapes you. To the image of Him. We need to focus more on Jesus. He is the strength. And less on ourselves and all these things we need to do. Because all these things are worthless if we are not doing it for Him and because of Him and by His power. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word, Lord. It's it is so powerful. The truth of it shakes us, Lord. The truth of it just reminds us of how different you are to what we think, how we live life, Lord. We we ask that you would please come and help us to set our affection on things above, set our affection on you, be focused on you, Christ living in me, the hope of glory. Father, we ask that you has give us this grace please help us that we will become more like you but Lord we know that's a promise that you've given us for those who are surrendered to you that you will finish that work and Lord may we submit to your working in our life thank you Lord for the hope that we have that we, we can be a better disciple we can we can be a better minister we can be a better fellow labourer with you Lord but it is all because of you in us You working through us. Make us vessels, Lord. Channels only. Blessed Master. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.